Hello, Soma. Please open to Hebrews 1, 1 1-4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purifications for our sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as his name he is inherited is more excellent than theirs awesome awesome thank you Cora you can be seated Well, I just want to restate what Jim said. If you missed it or you aren't sure, please, I see a few more of the Hebrews Journal uh, Bibles. And so again, what it is, it's just a paperback of the book of Hebrews. One side, it's got the text. The other side has some lines. And so I bought those. They're free. The idea is, uh, if you want to take notes, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews for a while. This isn't just a five-weeker, okay? <laughs> uh, we, we are going to make our way through, and so um, if you want to grab one of those, there's some pins that were put out, and uh, bring that with you, and hopefully I'll speak clearly and give you main points, and if you want to try to catch my main points and jot those down, you can do that. Uh, if you want to just have it and take your own notes, that is cool as well, uh, but those are available. Uh, and again, younger folks, you can take them too, uh, but just make sure you're going to use them to take notes, uh, you know, and not just make paper airplanes and things like that. Uh, please, that would be great. All right. Well, one of the first things we learn as we come to this new sermon series is that the Bible teaches that men are supposed to make coffee. He brews. Thank you, Chris. That's a good dad joke. And no, Chris, I only, it, it, it's funny. And I appreciate that you should have laughed. It was, it was meant to be a laughing moment. So, no, uh, actually, uh, the first thing, the first thing that uh, we learn when we come to this sermon series through Hebrews is the subtitle. Uh, and it's, it's in your e-bulletin and you're going to hear it repeated over and over again. Jesus is greater. So like if you, if you fall asleep now or if you have to leave early, you've got the main idea. You, you've got what Korah read for us in Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Jesus is greater. And we're going to spend some time looking at those verses in just a few moments. But let me start this morning with a few introductory comments. Uh, so if you, again, want to take some notes. Number one, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, good question. We're not told who wrote the book of Hebrews. Discussions have been going around for 2,000 years uh, as to who wrote the book of Hebrews. Of course, the Apostle Paul's name has to get thrown out as an option since he wrote so much of our New Testament. Barnabas, his name gets put out there as well. He was, of course, a companion for a while of the Apostle Paul. And so his name is often uh, put forward as a possibility. Dr. Luke, uh, Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, he gets put forward as a possibility. Even uh, Priscilla, um, you may remember the names Priscilla and Aquila, wife and husband team in the book of Acts. Um, her name is put forward. And there's great reasons for all of these possibilities, and there's counter arguments for all of these possibilities. Uh, what we do know is this. 
the author clearly knew his recipients, and he longed to be reunited with them. In fact, Hebrews 13, 19, he writes toward the end, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Okay, so he, he knew them. They clearly knew him. Um, they all had a mutual friend in Timothy, and that's a name we know from our Bibles. In Hebrews 13, 23, it says that uh, the writer writes, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Okay, so they knew Timothy. Uh, and it appears that the writer was not was not an eyewitness. Okay, that's important. Um, and so in chapter 2, verse 3, he's writing, and he, he will see this here um, probably in a couple weeks. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So uh, us, he includes himself, this, this truth about this great salvation was attested to the writer uh, by those who heard. So it makes it sound like the writer was part of the second generation of believers, not necessarily like, you know, the kids of the apostles or, you know, whatever, or the first hearers, but that, that next wave, if you will, of people who came to faith through the preaching of the apostles and so on. What emerges at the end of the discussion is that Hebrews is, uh, the author is anonymous, and that's, you check that off as another question one day to ask God in heaven who wrote this, this letter, this book. Um, but again, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter at the end, the, the point of the letter, the superiority of Jesus, that Jesus is greater. We're going to see he's superior to Moses and Joshua and Aaron and the temple and the sacrifices and all the rituals. I mean, all of that, uh, this writer is cautioning. Uh, in fact, there's going to be six warnings throughout the book that, that the author gives to caution the readers uh, who, who are Christians, but who, who want to go back, it seems, into uh, their, their pre-Christian ways, okay? I agree with one commentator who summarizes it like this. This is so good. It is far better to admit our ignorance. We do not know who wrote it. Almost certainly, the first readers did. In all likelihood, the author was a Hellenistic Jew, so that means uh, someone uh, who was, was Jewish but very much cultured in, in the Greco-Roman world and so forth, okay? Uh, a Hellenistic Jew who had become a Christian, a second-generation believer. He was steeped in the Septuagint, the LXX. Okay, he's going to quote the Old Testament quite a bit, but he always is going to quote from the Septuagint, not the Hebrew Scriptures. And judging by his excellent vocabulary and Greek style, he enjoyed a good education. Number two, as far as introductory matters, what type of book is Hebrews? Okay, well, Hebrews is considered a letter or an epistle, but it's very different from the letters of the Apostle Paul, Peter, uh, for, for a number of reasons. One of the things that's different about it, again, there's no name at the front mentioned. There's, there's not that customary, customary opening, like Paul says often, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the saints at, you know, some city, Grace and peace to you, right? None of that is, is in, in this letter. Uh, but what will we learn if we spend some time looking at, again, kind of the ancient writing, um, the, the epistle genre, okay, that, that's a type of writing, um, it was very broad. And so not all epistles started like 
we think of the Apostle Pauls and, and so on. So this very much, because of those personal comments that show up toward the end and are sprinkled out, tells us that this, this was directed and had, uh, the author had thoughts specifically to some people but it also has these sermonic elements in it. So uh, I don't know when or who, but someone at some point along the way came up with the idea that this is a sermonic letter. And that's, that really is a good way to think of Hebrews. Um, it, it's actually a string of several sermons. And, and really the book, the letter begins with one. These, these four verses that we're going to look at here in a moment. I mean, they launch us into a sermon about Jesus being greater. So it's a sermonic letter, okay? And that's, I think, a good way to think of Hebrews. Then number three, as far as introductory items, when and to whom was Hebrews written? Uh, if we can know those things. And it is helpful sometimes to know when was this written and who were the recipients? Well, again, we aren't certain. Um, there's some clues in the text that lead most scholars to kind of date this in the 60s before the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem in uh, A.D. 70. The reason for that is there's this mention uh, throughout about sacrifices, and it seems that that stuff was still happening there in Jerusalem in the temple. And if the temple had been destroyed, then those sacrifices wouldn't be happening. And so the, the tense of how the writer speaks about it would be slightly different. Uh, again, it's a guess. Um, this this book is quoted uh, later on by by some of the early church fathers and the uh, the kind of that next generation after the apostles. So it was definitely written, you know, before like ninety and one hundred. And again, just the fact that Jerusalem, uh, the temple, had not been destroyed yet, based in, in seventy, probably then we date this into the early to mid sixties. Okay, but again, it's a deductive guess. And then the recipients, well. We get the word Hebrews, and, and the word Hebrews is just another name for Jewish people, okay? And so um, that, that, that title wasn't there originally. That, that's come a little bit later to us, but that has kind of always been what the earliest writers referred to this as. So we, we, we again guess that these recipients were, were Jewish Christians. Um, they, again, uh, maybe were, were well-steeped in the Septuagint, um, maybe they had grown up elsewhere. Maybe they had, you know, traveled, but uh, they grew up in Judaism. They understood the sacrifices. They understood the law. They understood all of those things. But they've come to trust in Jesus as their Messiah. And again, the warnings are going to abound not to leave Jesus for those old things. So again, for various reasons, it seems most likely that, that these were Jewish people who had believed in Jesus. Again, to quote one commentator, the recipients are considering leaving this newfound faith and going back to the old ways, animal sacrifices, worship at the temple, the old paths, if you will, that the Jews had trusted in for generations. In other words, these people are starting to doubt whether this Jesus thing is all it first promised to be. The author, however, responds to this by showing all through the book how Jesus is superior or greater to every possible thing that you could put in his place. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the prophets, to Moses, to Aaron, to Joshua. His covenant is superior to the old covenant. And this is the major theme of the book. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. And I love this line. There is nothing grander 
greater, more beautiful, more wonderful, more satisfying, or more extraordinary than him. Let me read that again and let that sink in. There is nothing grander, greater, more beautiful, more wonderful, more satisfying, or more extraordinary than him. And let me just pause. Don't we need to hear that? Like I'm, 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 all of a sudden as I read that twice, I'm like realizing we, we are standing out here on September 26th in beautiful California. The sun's behind you and there's shade and there's birds and there's a light breeze. And like this is grand and great and beautiful and wonderful and satisfying and extraordinary in its own way. But it is not more than the Lord Jesus. So we need we need this book, church. We need to hear this over and over again because God has blessed us and we have wonderful things in our life, but they are, they are secondary things to him and, and we need to continually be pulled back to him. Okay, so with that as a little bit of introduction, let's spend the rest of our time this morning looking at these four verses. And so here's, here's the big idea if you want to write this down. We are going to see several ways that Jesus is greater because of who he is and what he has done. Jesus is greater because of who he is and what he has done. So if you have a Bible, you can turn, if you haven't already, to Hebrews chapter 1. Use those journal Bibles. And let's see that Jesus is greater because of who he is and what he has done. Let me reread for us. Verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, the first thing we see is that Jesus is greater because Jesus is God's final and definitive revelation. So number one, Jesus is greater because Jesus is God's final and definitive revelation. Verses one and two, the writer says, long ago at many times and in many ways. I I've always loved Hebrews. I, I don't remember when I first sort of was aware of it. Um, I came to trust Jesus in high school, and a couple of years later, it was off to Bible college. And so I don't remember if Hebrews was on my radar as a high school kid or if it was sometime in college. Uh, but I just love how it begins. Long ago, at many times, in many ways. It almost sounds like long ago. You guys are thinking of something else, right? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Like, I just always go there. Uh, as well. And there's, I wonder if Mr. Lucas had an awareness of this. But the author is making a contrast between long ago 
in verse 1, and then in verse 2, in these last days. Okay, so there's a contrast going on. Long ago, God spoke, uh, and he spoke to our fathers. There, so he, he spoke to a group of people, and he refers to them here as the fathers. This is a way of speaking of the Old Testament patriarchs, okay? The fathers of the faith, okay? For, for Jewish Christians, their forefathers are, of course, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on. So long ago, that direction back on the timeline, God spoke, and the recipients of God speaking were the forefathers, and, and the way God spoke was through prophets, prophets. And that's simply a way of speaking of not just the prophetic books. We sometimes think, oh, is he just talking about you know Isaiah and the major prophets, the others, and of course the, the 12 minor prophets. But speaking of prophets, uh, for Jewish thought, also included the books, the historical books um, of the Old Testament. So it's, it's a way of saying the whole Old Testament. In fact, Moses and David, right, we don't think of them as prophets in the kind of technical sense, but the scriptures do speak of both of them in various ways and points as prophets. So long ago, God spoke to the forefathers of the faith through prophets, but this contrast now shifts um, in these last days. By the way, please remember, we are living in the last days. Okay? The, the last days aren't coming. They're now. When, when Jesus came the first time, when, when the kingdom of heaven was, was brought by the Lord Jesus, it was the beginning of the last days. And, and it'll reach its final fulfillment when he comes the second time. But between his first and second coming, this is the last days, okay? So people wonder sometimes, well, you know, God said in the last days, well, yeah, we're, we're in them. And God, he's not slow. He's not, you know, concerned about the clock. He's, the batteries haven't died. He's not, you know, dealing with any, anything related to stress about time like we are. We have been in these last days since Jesus first came. So in these last days, God continues to speak. He has spoken. It wasn't just to the prophets that he spoke. And by, by the way, the writer isn't discounting the Old Testament. This isn't a, we don't need those prophetic writings. No, we do. In fact, he's going to quote it all throughout. He's going to quote this, this Old Testament. But he's saying there is, there is a definitive way in these last times that God has spoken. So long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us, all of a sudden the writer, he doesn't just say, you know, to me. He, he's including, of course, the recipients, but that this is, again, where we get some application too. God, God has spoken to us. And, and if us, if we're the recipients, who, who is it through? It is by his son. So again, quite a contrast. Don't ever let anyone tell you whether it's someone else or your own mind or, or the enemy that, that God is silent. God, God is not silent. He, he has spoken. We, we have his self-revelation in the Bible, and most specifically, he spoke through the, the person of Jesus, his, his life, his works, and, and who he is and what he has done. Okay? He, he has spoken to us. God is not a silent God. He's always been a God who communicates. Yes, we would love sometimes to have God write answers to things in the sky, you know, related to a lot of secondary things. And they're important, of course, in our life, and they're important to us, they're important to God. But God has spoken. 
he has spoken. And we need to hear that. And, and most specifically, he has spoken through Jesus. And this is important because those forefathers, again for a moment, uh, we, we could think of them, as, as this one writer puts it, as intermediaries. Okay, so listen to this, uh, this way of thinking this. Not just anybody could speak for God. You had to be appointed as a prophet and inspired by God to speak for him. These chosen individuals, those prophets... They were God's mouthpieces for speaking to his people, and they recorded it for us so we can, we can know God's intention. The author of Hebrews is getting ready to tell us that Jesus is the full, final revelation of God, and that God's new way of speaking is better, better than the old. Again, it's not that the old is obsolete, but Jesus is better. What he is not saying is that the old way is irrelevant or wrong. It is the inspired, infallible word of God. It is just incomplete. And so one of the things we talk about a lot is that the whole Bible, especially the Old Testament, is pointing forward in one way or another to the Lord Jesus. It's looking forward to the coming of the Son of God. And so God has spoken through what we consider the Old Testament, and it is important. It teaches us much about who He is, what He's done, but ultimately it points forward. And so God has spoken to us now through His Son, His final definitive revelation. So Jesus is greater because Jesus is God's final and definitive revelation. Even surpassing the Old Testament, he is superior to the prophets. So that's the first thing we see about Jesus being greater. Then number two, verse two, Jesus is greater because Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is greater because Jesus is the Son of God. So verse two, In these last days, he, that is God, has spoken to us by his son, by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So just briefly on this, if you are an heir, then all that belongs to the father belongs to you. And so Sons, in this case, Jesus as the Son of God, he is the heir of all that belongs to the Father. Okay? So all that is God's is Jesus's. He is the Son. He was appointed the heir of all things. So Jesus is greater because he is the Son of God. Number three, the third thing we see is that Jesus is greater because Jesus is the agent of creation. Again, in verse 2. This Son of God, it says, it was through whom, Him, also that He created the world. So, we believe in one God. We are, we are monotheists, but as Christians, our understanding from the Bible, from the Revelation, is that this one God exists in three persons, and it's mysterious. Um, it's, it's Bible math. One plus one plus one equals one. And, and, and so um, we, we don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God, three persons. And this Jesus, it says, it was through whom also he created the world. And this isn't new to Hebrews. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 say that, For by Jesus all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the Apostle Paul 
spoke of this, and the Apostle John spoke of this. John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through Him. Speaking of the Logos, the Word, which is Jesus. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Contrary to Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, we believe what the Bible says, that Jesus is a separate person, and He was an agent of creation. He was not created. Okay, Jesus here, through this this way of speaking of him uh, being an agent of creation here in Hebrews, it's a way the writer is declaring that he, in fact, is God. He, in fact, is the ruler of the world. This, again, if, you, if we had time, we could survey the Old Testament. These are attributes we're seeing that are attributed to God, and now we're hearing them attributed to Jesus. He is greater because he is the agent of creation. Number four, Jesus is greater because Jesus upholds the universe. Jesus is greater because Jesus upholds the universe. And so this is related to the previous. Not only was he the creator, but he upholds the universe. Verse 3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Right now, we are sitting here and, and God has designed gravity to be in place and, and the universe is being upheld by the word of his power. We, we often live in fear of what we call natural disasters. And, and, and yes, God has put these natural things in place and, and they're scary. But ultimately, the universe is upheld by the word of his power. And again, this is a way to show that Jesus is God. This is language from the Old Testament. If you have time this week, I would encourage you to read Psalm 104. Psalm 104 speaks of how God is, in fact, the one who upholds the universe. It's a wonderful psalm worth our time. And so the writer here to the Hebrews has taken these attributes of, of God as creator now, and, and now God is the one who upholds, and he's applying them to none other than Jesus. And again, back to Colossians 1, verse 17, what the Apostle Paul says, that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is greater because Jesus upholds the universe. Number five. The fifth thing we see in the text is that Jesus is greater because Jesus is the very glory of God. Jesus is greater because Jesus is the very glory of God. Verse three says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Listen to those words again. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul, speaking of those uh, who, who have yet to believe, he says this, in their case, the God of this world, reference to Satan or the devil, has blinded their mind, the minds of unbelievers, listen here, to keep them, he, he could have said a lot, he could have said to keep them from believing in Jesus, to keep them from becoming Christians. But listen to how he puts it. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What a spectacular way to say it. Unbelievers, until God works the miracle of regeneration, unbelievers are blinded, and it takes a supernatural working of God to remove those blinders so they see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So back to Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Again, all throughout the Old Testament, God is described as being glorious and being bright. Moses went up onto the mountain. Uh, when he came down, remember his face shone and it was so bright because he had been with God. And the people couldn't look at Moses, right? Again, God's glory and his brightness. Um, during the time of the tabernacle, the glory of God would fill it and the people would know that God had filled it because of the brightness that they could see. So all throughout the story, the Old Testament, we see this idea of God's glory being kind of portrayed through light. And then you come into the New Testament. The, the best example is the transfiguration when, when Jesus would go up on the mountain and take a few of his apostles with him and he would be transfigured and his appearance changed. And, and Peter and a few others got to behold this, this glory. And you might remember the story, Peter thinks it's a cool thing and wishes they could stay. We all probably would want to as well. And then, of course, a little bit later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus who ravaged the church in the book of Acts, he would be blinded by none other than the, the light as the Lord Jesus appeared and spoke to him. So again, this is all throughout the Bible, God's glory in, in this idea of light. And so Jesus, Hebrews is telling us, is the radiance of the glory of God. And he's the exact imprint of his nature. The idea of an imprint uh, is the idea of um, like, like a stamp makes an imprint. So if you think of a coin, if some of you still have coins, it seems like there's a coin shortage in the world. Everywhere I go, they have signs up telling me that. Um, and so I don't know what I'm to do with like these gallons of coins I have. Maybe you have gallons of coins too, and maybe we should circulate them all back into the world, but I digress. Those coins have an imprint of various presidents uh, and so forth, okay? And so Jesus, he is the exact imprint of God and of God's nature. It's a way of speaking of Jesus as being identical in substance to God. In other words, being himself fully God. And all of God's attributes and abilities, the Son is exactly like the Father. Not the same person, uh, but, but, but the same. So, Michael Kruger, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, he reminds us, again, the idea of imprint, can be translated stamp, and it was often used to describe the impression of an image on a coin. It referred to the exact image of a king or emperor, and so what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that if you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. Jesus himself said as much in John 11, or excuse me, John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is greater because Jesus is the very glory of God. 
He, he is God. And then this, the sixth thing, number six that we see in the passage is that Jesus is greater because Jesus is the one who purifies from sin. Jesus is greater because Jesus is the one who purifies from sin. So again in verse 3, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. One of the things we're going to see in the weeks to come, these opening verses, all these things even that we're looking at today, uh, they are going to be expanded upon at greater length. And this is, again, typical of the letters we have in the New Testament. Often, Apostle Paul and the writer here is going to say these things in a condensed form that then the rest of the letter are going to really tease out. And so one of those is this reality that Jesus made purifications for sin. Chapters 9 and 10 really get into this. We'll look at this quite a ways into the future. Um, but, but he, through his perfect life, perfectly obedient to the Father, which we aren't able to do. Oh, we're going to learn that he was tempted like we are tempted, but he didn't succumb to the temptation and sin. So he's able to understand our struggle. He, he lived the life we can't live. And then, of course, he went and became the sacrifice, uh, taking the wrath of God when it was ours to take. We were the ones that sinned and, and fell short of the glory of God. But Jesus stepped in and, and was the one who, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, made purification for sins. And, and we'll leave it there for now. Again, we'll see this played out later. But then it says that he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. To be at the right hand of a king was to be in the place of power. And, and to speak of Jesus as seated, it's as if he did all that he was supposed to do. He died, but then he was buried, and then he rose. And then after his 40 days, he ascended, and he sat down. He sat down in that, that place of authority. And he is reigning and ruling in that place at the right hand of God. His work is complete. Salvation has been accomplished. Jesus is greater because Jesus is the one who purifies us from sin. And then number seven, final point. Jesus is greater because Jesus is superior to angels. So verse four says this. Jesus is superior to angels. This one who sat down at the right hand having made purification, it says he having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And this, this verse, verse 4, is a hinge verse. The writer is done with, with this opening sermon, these, these glorious seven things we extracted out uh, about why Jesus is greater. And this final one says that he is greater, he is superior to angels. And now... Chapter 1 and into chapter 2, he's going to start quoting the Old Testament, quoting where it says this about angels, but it says this about Jesus, about the Son. And so we will let this be a hinge for next week, and we will leave this point alone at, for now and resume here next week. Jesus is greater because Jesus is superior to angels. So, Soma... Today, this afternoon, 
into the week to come, whether it's work, whether it's school, whether it's neighbors, whether it's whatever, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Again, there's wonderful things in life. And there's things that are wonderful, but at times are difficult. Jesus is greater than relationships. Wonderful, but a challenge. Jesus is greater than than work and school. Wonderful, but they can be challenging. Jesus is greater than success and fame and fortune and money. All that stuff has a place as long as we don't love it right, but it can be a challenge and a, a strain as well. We need this reminder today, this message of Hebrews. Jesus is greater than all of it. Whatever you're facing this week, whether it be a, a good thing that you're tempted to, to look to as sort of your functional Savior to, to get you through and be happy in, Jesus is greater than it. And whatever you're going through that's a challenge and difficult, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. My, my encouragement is twofold this week. Read through Hebrews 1 and 2 again. I challenged you last week to do it. Uh, if you did it, do it again. We're going to be in 1 and 2 for a couple weeks, so reread those chapters. If you have time, read the whole thing. Second challenge, memorize. Pull out your memory abilities. Dust out, you know, the, the cobwebs or whatever. Some of you don't think you're good at memorizing. Um, it just takes repetition. Little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. And memorize one Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Let this glorious beginning of this book just be right there so you can preach it to yourself this week because you're going to need this this week. You're going to need to remember that Jesus is greater than the good things in life and greater than the temptations and vices. You need to be able to preach that to yourself. And if you got it memorized, it'll be right there. I think a verse all of us know is John 3.16. God so loved the world, right? How did he show that love? He gave his only son. He, he gave his only son, the one that we've just looked at for the last 35 minutes, this, this son who is greater than anything else. God so loved the world that he gave this son so that whoever believes, trusts in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. He loves us in the most Definitive way he showed it is by giving his son to us, the one who is greater. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that we look all too often to other things than the Lord Jesus. When life is good, we go to other things more than we go to Jesus. When life is hard, we go to other things more than Jesus. Help us. Change that. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that long ago, in many ways, God, you spoke through the prophets. And we have, specifically in the case of the Old Testament, your, your word. But we thank you in these last days, you spoke definitively to us as well as we have now heard and received the word of the apostles, the word of those first recipients, including the book of Hebrews, this, these truths about 
none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is greater. Help us live those truths out, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.